If you turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're getting near the end of yet another book, so we'll finish up John's Gospel uh, on Sunday. We're getting close to the end here in 1 Corinthians. We'll move on towards 2 Corinthians uh, next. But the wonders of worship tonight, and when we use the word worship, very often we use it in a very, very narrow context. And in fact, when I often talk to people, well, what do you think worship is? They usually say something to the effect, well, it's the singing before the message. And to a lot of people, that is the extent of how they understand worship. But in fact, in scripture, worship is far greater than that. And it actually encompasses the totality of how we give ourselves to God. Our worship services are our attention turned towards heaven and our very best given to the Lord of heaven in praise and honor and adoration to him. We are telling the Lord, Lord, we love you in the most extreme way. The response from the Lord from heaven is to instruct us, encourage us, lift us up. The things that we do in a worship service such as this is to build up and edify the church. It is, it is us worshiping God and God in turn lifting us up. And so you might imagine that every worship service ought to have as its focal point the Lord of heaven. Amen? It's not actually about all the things that we've come to appreciate and love and we're, we're blessed with. Uh, you know, you're, you're staring at PowerPoint slides and, you know, those could be any color. They happen to be in color. As a matter of fact, they happen to be HD. They're, they're high definition. There, there are uh, lights that are lighting this stage. You know, I'm using a, a sound system right now. Those things all help us in worshiping the Lord, but they themselves are not worshipful unless they're used for the purpose that the Lord would intend, and that is to build you up and to bring him glory and honor and praise. So you might imagine that there's a fairly narrow way that the Lord accomplishes that, and it doesn't include a lot of things that might be distracting to the intended purpose. The intended purpose is to glorify God and lift you up. Then you might think that anything that's outside of the parameters of God's design and desire for us would automatically be not part of a worship service. And so the Apostle Paul is now going to move past this discussion really on the gift of tongues and he's going to move into a more total treatment of the actual worship service itself. And he's going to express to us the wonders of what it is to really worship the Lord. And so would you pray with me? We'll pick up in verse 26 and we'll take it down through verse 40. Father, we thank you for the gift of worship, being able to worship you, Lord, in song, in word, in deed, in praise, and adoration, Lord, with a timbrel and a harp, Lord, stringed instruments, Lord, with PowerPoint slides and messages given and prophecy spoken. Lord, with words spoken to your people to lift up and encourage, and we pray tonight that you'd help us to understand what it is to really worship you. And so, God, we bless you, we praise you, offer this time to you, that you would use it to build up your church. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 26 here in 1 Corinthians 14. How is it then, brethren? And you might look at it this way. Being as what we've talked about previously, how is it, brethren? Do, do you get what I'm saying here? What's up with you guys? How come? Why do you do what you do in church? Why do you do things the way you do things in church? How is it, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. That word edification simply means to build up. And, of course, the focal point of the building up has to be us, Because there's no way to build up God. God already is built all the way up. Amen? So he's talking about what is it that happens when you gather together and some of you have a psalm, which is the same as singing, because you have to remember during the context here, most of the psalms were sung. So some would sing. Some would teach. Some would speak in a language, possibly an unknown language, but definitely a tongue Someone would have a revelation. Someone would interpret that. Someone would bring these things to the church and the church would be built up by it. And so Paul's going to give us some guidelines in the remainder of this uh, passage of scripture as he reiterates the importance that we need to see in our church services today, in our worship services today, in our world, in, especially in our country, and probably even more so especially here in Southern California, even the church has begun to take upon it almost a product that is sold and thereby you all become consumers. You, you come to a church hoping to get something. And while that is a part of the function of church, it's not the goal of church. The goal of church is for you to bring your gifts to the Lord and to use them to give others what they want and need. In other words, we have come to serve the Lord. And we serve the Lord by singing praises to him. We serve the Lord by worshiping him with song. We serve the Lord by being in children's ministry. We serve the Lord by operating that massively complicated sound system that's in the back. We serve the Lord by making sure these PowerPoint slides actually are available for you to view. We serve the Lord by being in the cafe. We serve the Lord by coming and helping as an usher. We serve the Lord by lifting up and encouraging the body of Christ. We come here actually to serve the Lord. We do not come to be a consumer. We come to serve. The whole church is supposed to be engaged in that process. But if there's not some order... If there isn't some way that we can kind of identify what that looks like, then if every one of you all of a sudden decided, well, you know, tonight I'm teaching. We could have like battle of the tongues here. And we could have, you know, this section could take the passage because they really, they wanted to be in Ezekiel tonight. And here would be our revelation, folks. And you guys over here could be the gospels. And this was the Pauline epistles right here. And we could just all start spewing whatever we want from the Bible and it would not 
do the purpose for which we've come, which is to serve one another, to build up the body of Christ and to glorify the Lord. And so Paul's going to address this in a context that was very problematic for the Corinthian church. I want to read to you now from the New Living Translation, verse 26. And it it helps a little bit with understanding. Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize what I'm saying. When you meet, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation. God has given. One will speak in an unknown language, while another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must be useful to all and to build them up in the Lord. So you can pretty clearly see how if all of us started speaking in an unknown tongue or all of us started praying out loud, or as we'll get to at the end of this passage, some of you, whether you be men or women, start, you know, can we just do 40 questions with Pastor Jeff while he's teaching, would probably not edify the body of Christ. Rather, rather it would be quite confusing and very disturbing for some. And so Paul is now going to kind of help us with this. You see, during that time, church was not as it is today. And one of the problems we have when we read these passages is we have a tendency to interject the way we do church today into the context in which these were written, which was there were no seminary trained or Bible college trained. There were no professional pastors and teachers. Everyone was a lay minister. So very often in a church, there would be multiple people who would teach the congregation. And sometimes they would take turns. A secondary issue, very important issue was, nobody had a Bible. They were not walking around with the New Testament. If they had any of Paul's letters, which some of the churches in Asia Minor did, and they circulated them, copied them, and sent them out to other places... Maybe someone might have had one of Paul's letters. Maybe there might have been a copy, uh, an early copy after this time of one of the Gospels or something like that. But nobody was doing expository teaching because there was nothing to exposit yet. If they had the Old Testament, they might have read from it. They could have read from the Psalms. So they would have commented on the law, on the Old Testament, and then they would have had people say, well, the Apostle Paul says. Or the Apostle Paul said this to Peter, and Peter said this. They would have simply been passing along what they heard, and it would have been a very, very, very fluid situation. And so that is where Paul writes this letter. So the question becomes in this diversity of when we come to church, each of us have needs and each of us has something to give. The the question is, how do we do that as we saw from chapter 13 in love? How do we make it so everyone gains from it? There's something that happens as we worship the Lord together that the Lord is glorified and we are built up. And so the Apostle Paul is basically saying, look, every one of you here in the church, and I'll modernize it for you, I can tell you that if you ask 3,000 people the same question, you'll get about 3,500 answers. Because some will not answer it, others will give 6, 8, 10 answers, but you'll get way more answers to every question than the number of people that you ask. 
And so if we are just consumers, then we go up and it's just like we go into our favorite restaurant and we say, I'd like that slightly well done. Could you leave the vegetables on the side? Please don't put any salt on it. We, we ask for it the way we want it, right? Can I tell you in a church of 10, that's impossible? Now imagine as the church gets bigger, how impossible that would be in a spiritual sense to have everyone come in and do whatever it is, have it your way. Burger King, amen? It's like, I want church my way. That's actually what was happening in Corinth. The person who had a tongue would speak that. The person who wanted to prophesy would do that. The person who wanted to sing would do that. The person who wanted to pray would pray. And they would just go back and forth. And there would be utter chaos. And nothing that honored the Lord would actually come of it. So this letter is actually chastising the church. He says, look, you guys need to have some order in your church service. Otherwise, what's going to happen to you is this. You're not going to be built up. And the Lord's not going to be glorified. What does that look like to us? Because let's face it, we all come to church with kind of our, our own little things, generally speaking. Some really love to sing. You come and you really look forward to worship. Some of you come to, to hear the teaching. Some of you come because of children's ministry. Some of you come because we've got, you know, uh, I've actually had people say, well, you know, I come to your church actually because you have a coffee shop. And I like coffee before church. I get all amped up and it's coffee in Jesus. Some come for fellowship. They just want to be with other believers and be encouraged that way. Some come to get counsel. They want to talk to somebody about something that's on their heart. Some come to be prayed for and healed. Some come for comfort. And some come because I'm a bit nuts. But we all kind of come for various reasons, but the point being, when we all gather together, it, it can't be your way and my way. And all. We, we have to kind of be led by the Spirit so that we'll accomplish the Spirit's purpose. Amen? And so we worship the Lord together. So it's kind of group participation. Sometimes we don't see that. But when we praise together, we are praising the Lord together, and we're all being benefited by it. When I'm worshiping the Lord in song with you, I'm listening to you sing. That ignites my passion, my heart, as I'm listening to you praise the Lord. It's like, Lord, they are offering that to you, and I am joined in in that. That's a function that you have towards the Lord that I'm built up by. Please, in Jesus' name, do not simply come to church to be a consumer. Come to to give what others need. There's all kinds of contributions that we can make, too, by the way. Our technical things, our, our recording things, our musical things, our stage setting things, our missions Uh, opportunities, nursery, and helps. There's just so many ways that you can bring a gift to the Lord that benefits the body of Christ. Do you understand? Please don't just be a consumer. Don't just come and take. Come and give so that the body is built up. Come and give what you have. Maybe that's you come and just patiently 
wait on the Lord in prayer for the service. Maybe that for some of you will be some of these wonderful gifts. Maybe it's just being, maybe it's being a greeter or an usher or a parking lot attendant or maybe it's in children's ministry. You have some way to build up the body. And I pray we see that and do it. What does the Bible say really about worship? And I want to give you some things that are not in this passage, but when we talk about worship, first and foremost, it's an encounter with the living God. Amen? We don't serve a dead God. We don't worship a dead God. This is not exercising our religious freedom. This is us freed to worship the true and the living God. When we come together, we are seeking an encounter with God. And by the way, that's what the Israelites did in the wilderness. They wanted to seek an encounter with God. It's the whole reason for the tabernacle in the wilderness. Amen? There, can you imagine carrying around this, this tent that was the meeting place for God? That's why it was called a tabernacle. They didn't haul it around so they could be religious. You get it? They literally went in to meet with God. We're still doing the same thing. A second thing. Worship will always be limited to how engaged you are. Always. If you're not engaged, we could have the most unbelievable service going on in here. We could have, you know, dancing monkeys and camels and we could set the stage with, you know, every single service. We put up some, you know, new building up here and some experiential thing. But if you're not engaged, if you're not the one bringing the offering, if you're not coming into the courts of praise saying, Lord, I want to meet with you here, then it will be limited by your involvement. It can be great in every other way, and you're going to get as much out of it as you put in it with expectancy. A third thing, that true worship experience is you preparing your heart to do that. And, And this is actually for all of us. And I think this is a way that you can understand this. You see what the Bible says there in Numbers 28 is it was serious business to go to the house of the Lord. They didn't just kind of, and while that's fine, but when they came to the house of the Lord, they prepared themselves to come to the house of the Lord. They cleansed themselves to come to the house of the Lord. They repented of their sin before they came to the house of the Lord. They washed themselves before they, they got sanctified before they come to the house of the Lord. If you want to have a wonderful experience in worship, you've got to take care of some business before you come to the house of the Lord. I've watched people walk in and you can tell they brought something of the day with them. They're burdened, they're weighted down. We're supposed to be freed of those things by coming to the house of the Lord, not 
taking them in with us so we're hindered from worshiping the Lord. And that does not mean that you stick your head in the sand well, everything's fine. That means in, in abject wonder before a holy God, we say, God, I know you can do something about this thing in my life. And I'm giving it back to you, but I want to come in and worship you. Not I hope they got something for me today. And while I hope that as we worship and as I teach, that there is something for everyone. But it's incumbent upon us to enter the sanctuary of the Lord with expectancy. Seeking the face of the God who created the universe. I cannot do that for you. You have to do that for you. A fourth thing. We should come at every opportunity to worship the Lord. You know, every year when we go past Christmas and then we head towards Easter, we have, and and it is somewhat derogatory, I'll admit that, we have Christians we call C&E Christians. Christmas and Easter. That's when they come and meet with God. It's their obligation. We're coming on the holy days. Oh, brothers and sisters, I pray that's not you. And I know because you're here on a Thursday night, this is kind of like the, the meat of the church, the hardcore people. These are the people that want to come more than, you know, doing their duty to the Lord. You see, what Psalm 81 gives us this example of is we should come always with all praise and all thanksgiving. We want to come in it. We're expecting God to do something. Now, I want to put this into modern terms for you. If every time you went to the bank, just the simple act of going to the bank filled your bank account with more funds, how often would you go to the bank? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? You go down, you swipe your eight, honey, there's another thousand dollars in here. And you walk away, you go back home, you come back, swipe it again. There's another thousand dollars in there. The riches of God come from knowing God. Being with God, expectantly waiting on God, hanging out with God, hanging out with his people. And so here's what happens. We come and we check the bank account like every other year. It's like, wow, we're bankrupt. (laughs) That's because God puts in when you come to him. He fills your soul when you actually ask for it. So when you come and you say, Lord, I need you, fill me. That's when he does it. So a worship service is a place where I come expecting God to do something, and he does it. Fifthly, music is a part of that. It is amazing to me how many people look at the singing part of worship. You notice how I said that? Pastor Alex often says, as we worship you in song, why? Because we worship in the word and we worship in prayer and we worship in song and we worship in praise and we worship in prophecy and we worship in adoration. We worship in lots of different ways. But as we worship in song, it's amazing to me how many people look at the worshiping in song part is that's so I can finally get into the sanctuary after I've done something else. No, that's a time for us to actually worship 
the Lord. I'm saying, God, this is out of my heart. I have a funny story. Probably all of you know somebody who, it would probably be best if they never actually audibly sang a note. I had a situation, I'll share this with you, and it's, it's on me, so I'll, I'll own it. I had this guy that used to come when we were at Calvary Chapel Vista, and we almost always ended up near this guy. And he was one of those people. It was like, dear God, could he have some form of laryngitis today? Because it's kind of distracting, Lord. And, and I was not that nice about it, actually. Until I found out that he had vocal cord surgery and his vocal cords were damaged, he actually used to be a worship leader. So be really careful that you don't become a consumer. You see, a consumer comes and says, man, that person can't sing a lick and I'm bummed. Can I tell you that that praise coming out of that person that can't sing a lick is just as beautiful to God's ears. Amen? We got to see these things. Otherwise, we come with this consumer mentality. A sixth thing. Worship is bringing our best to the Lord. Jesus goes on to say, look, where your treasure is, there your heart's going to be also. But we want to bring God our very, very, very best. And we saw that in the first worship service. You remember where it took place? We just were at that time of year. The first worship service ever held was actually when Jesus was in the manger. What happened? All heaven erupted in worship service and in comes the magi. And they're praising God. They brought their best, the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh, the heavenly songs. We don't want to be giving God our leftovers in church. We want to come and give him our best and say, God, this is for you. And that's every aspect of who we are. That's our time. That's our talent. That's our treasure. That's everything we are. The best of it should go to the Lord. A seventh thing. Real worship, genuine worship. Results in us submitting to his word. That's what happens. When I have a close encounter of the Jesus kind in worship, I recognize, Lord, you're right. (laughs) There's a lot of times when I'm wrong. And so I submit myself to what he has to say through his word. Too often people come looking to try and debate the things that I'm saying to see if they can find a way that they don't have to do what the Bible says. You know how I know that? Email. Yeah, people send me email. Well, you know, the, uh, the Niacine fathers all said, and, you know, and they go through a long oration, and it's a, it's a plain teaching. No, it actually says what it says. It, it isn't what the Niacine fathers thought about it. It's what is God's word? What did Jesus say about it? That's what we do. It's not church's, church history treatment of some obscure piece of you know, understanding that one person has and the rest of the world doesn't. 
It's just simple obedience to the Lord. When I come and say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know the power of your resurrection. I want you to transform my life. It is there that I worship the Lord. It's God, what you say, I will do. It's obedience. You you will not ever be a great worshiper of the Lord if you try and worship in disobedience. If you're walking in disobedience, if you're thinking in disobedience, if you're acting in disobedience, your worship's going to be hollow. You're going to come, you're going to sit down in a pew, and you're going to go, man, this doesn't mean anything to me. Why? Because you're walking in disobedience. Your heart's not right with the Lord. You have something between you and God. And he wants to get that squared away. An eighth thing. And this comes from this passage. And this is where it starts to hone in on what Paul's going to finish with here. Everything. What I'm doing now. What we did in corporate worship. What we did when we took the offering. What you did when you came in and greeted and stood and talked to each other and put love on each other. What they're doing in children's ministry. What's happening in the junior high and the high school. What goes on in the cafe. The way that we take care of this facility. Everything is supposed to be beneficial to the worshipers. Everything. To you. To all of us. Why we do what we do the way we do it. That's how we started. Why do you do what you do the way you do it? For the benefit of the church and to the glory of the Lord. Very simple answer. It's not more complex than that. For the benefit of the body of Christ and for the glory of the Lord. So that God looks down on what we're doing and says, that's my kids. And so that we look at it, oh man, I was lifted up into heaven. It's actually very simple. A ninth thing. And that's why number nine is what it is. Everything has to be done in such a way that the God who ordered the universe, the one who, as Paul recorded for us in Galatians chapter 5, saying about the fruit of the spirit being love, and he names all these sub-characteristics of what that looks like, says, no, by the way, self-control is part of this. That every part of the service is not chaotic because we know who the author of chaos is. Amen? It's not the Lord. Disorder is not the Lord. Crazy, zany antics is not from the Lord. And that's not talking about conformity to some type of a box. That's simply saying if it's completely out of order and people are going off on their own little tangents and everybody's doing their own thing, then what's not going to happen is the God that created the universe and ordered it made every atom of every molecule of every cell of your body so perfectly that your body diagnoses what's wrong with it. It self-diagnoses, then self-repairs. That God. That God is not in disorder. He's not in chaos. And so worship in all of these things that we discuss ultimately boils down to God has a plan for it. And so verse 27 comes into view for us. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or three at the most. 
each in turn. And let one interpret. If there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Real simple. And by the way, I want you to note something here. There's no differentiation between your prayer language and the speaking forth of a tongue. Because it's chaotic. When people are blabbering on, and when it's chaotic, you can't agree with them. You have no idea what's being said. Now fill the congregation with that. You can imagine what's going to happen. There's going to be disorder. And so the Apostle Paul here, being the one that writes these things, he says, look, you can tell because there will be order. There will, In other words, the, the other side of that is there's not going to be disorder because God's not a God of chaos. God doesn't contradict his own character. And so he puts a stipulation on the use of, of prophesying, the use of tongues, as he speaks forth these things, he's basically saying, look, you have to make sure that what you're repeating, what you're saying, what you're doing, brings glory and honor and praise to me, who is the author of all these things. And if you're causing people to become confused, as we saw last time, if you're causing people to think that you all are a little bit out of your minds, That is not going to lift up the body and that is not going to bring honor to the Lord. And so he says there there can't be disorder. And that doesn't mean that there has to be stoicism. That doesn't mean that there has to be overt religiosity. That does not mean that I need to go get a collar. And if you have one, praise the Lord. I'm not against them. I just can't stand them. They're uncomfortable. So I don't wear a collar because they're uncomfortable. Not because somebody who does wear one, there's something wrong with them. It's not about everybody being conformed to a singular image. It's us being conformed into the image of Christ. Amen? It's us glorifying the Lord. It's us lifting each other up. So those types of things are going to fall within some fairly specific boundaries. But it's not going to take away diversity. It's not going to take away expressiveness. It isn't even going to take away unpredictability. It won't take away winsomeness or humor. Look, if you don't think God has a sense of humor, look around the room. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's like us, really? Seriously? Yeah, God's got a sense of humor. It's okay to use some humor. It's okay for us to let our hair down a little bit. But at the end of all of it, does it glorify the Lord? Is the intent to glorify the Lord? And we all fail at it from time to time. But the fact of the matter is our object, our goal, is to build each other up and to glorify the Lord. So some kind of crazy, zany thing going on in the sanctuary is not going to do that. How do we know? Because the standard is God's word. We have have to know our Bibles. Verse 30, and if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down first, the, the speaker should stop. Or you can all prophesy in turn so that they may be instructed and encouraged and spirits and prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. You realize what he's saying. 
If you don't have self-control, you're not speaking for God. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the control of the prophet himself. Galatians 6, excuse me, Galatians 5, 23. The fruit of the spirit, one of them, one of those sub-characteristics is self-control. Willingly deferring. Can I tell you, you could do flannel boards and have chaos. Can you imagine if you just gave all the, and every once in a while we do this, it's kind of fun. Give the kids all the animals and Mary and Joseph and see what they come up with on the flannel board. But you're probably not going to get a biblical message. You might have some fun. There's nothing wrong with that in that context. But if you're trying to worship the Lord, then you probably need to have somewhat of a story up there, not chaotic flannel boarding. Speakers get out of control and people start doing their own thing. We get completely out of order. Notice verse 33, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Just as in all of the other churches. So when things tend towards disorder, when they tend towards chaos, that was one of the results of the fall. Death entered into the world. Death is the direct result of chaos happening to the human body. And that came through sin. So chaos and sin are linked together. When somebody says, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm the author of chaos, that's kind of like saying, well, I'm Satan's brother. God is a God of peace. So when the Holy Spirit is at work, you'll see peace. When the Holy Spirit is at work, you'll see continuity to the flow of the Spirit. You will not see everybody doing their own thing and contradicting that God is a God of order. It's not self-righteousness. It's not rigidity. It's not gender-based. Verse 34, and women should be silent in church meetings. I have listened to this passage be abused over and over and over and over again to subjugate women. It is not what is intended by the Apostle Paul. Where it's not proper, proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. If they have any questions? To ask, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's improper for a woman to speak in church meetings. And again, context is king. And in this case, these newly liberated women were never allowed to speak in public. And because they were now believers in Christ, they had this newfound freedom. And because there were no other places to get answers, there were two places that they could get answers to their questions about their relationship with God. One was in church. The other was at home. And so the Apostle Paul is giving an instruction here. He's saying, look, we can't turn every worship service into a question and answer time. So because you ladies are not used to having the public privilege of actually asking these types of questions, and I know you want to know, Reserve that for your husbands at home so the church service does not get what he's just said, which is disordered. With everybody, uh, 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 what is sanctification? What does redemption mean? 
Well, so-and-so over in the other canyon, right next to us, where we're at right now, said that sanctification is you go to some place called sanctity. And so they would ask questions. It was more of an open forum. And because there were not trained seminarians who were delivering a message, there were people speaking. It was kind of like, well, I'll just speak now too. And so this is not even a commentary on gender. It's simply saying, look, we need to make sure that church actually glorifies the Lord. Silent in this particular context does not actually mean silence. It it is actually referring to that which is correct. And so what was correct in that setting, Paul has just told them. It can't be chaotic. So you cannot everyone all speak at once. I know this is new for you. But hold your questions till you get home. For the first time in history, women were actually put on par with a man. For there is now neither male nor female. Amen? Isn't that what the Apostle Paul taught? There isn't Greek and Jew. For all are made one in Christ. Ephesians teaches this message very clearly. One faith, one hope, one Lord, one baptism, Ephesians 4. And so he's saying, look, in church, we can't turn it in to ask the pastor every single Sunday. And so he basically says, look, this is how this has to work. So there were appropriate things that would be done and inappropriate things that were done. If you have questions, save them for later. We're trying to give everybody something here. I love how this kind of begins to close out. Or or did the word of God originate with you? Are you the only people that it has reached there in verse 36? This entire chapter kind of corrects the Corinthians' understanding of, of what it was like to be filled with the Spirit. You see, what was happening was each person was basically trying to define what the church service was going to look like. So, no, I'm filled with the Spirit. No, I'm filled with the Spirit. No, I'm filled with... No, kind of like the munchkins in Munchkinland. Well, we represent the Lollipop Guild. We'd like to welcome you to Munchkinland. So everyone would kind of have their own thing. It's like to be filled with the Spirit is to do this, and to be filled with the Spirit is to do that, and to be filled with the Spirit was to do this. And nobody was getting anything out of church. It was kind of like dueling spirits. And so Paul says, look, there isn't one person in here who actually originated the word of God that came from the Holy Spirit. So the one Holy Spirit authoring the one word of God is not going to speak a different message to every person in the congregation. So every person in the congregation is not going to do their own thing because that would make it not of the spirit. And being as we want to worship the Lord supremely and lift each other up, it needs to be of the Spirit. Amen? The body was starting to work. The body was starting to do what it should do for anyone who claims to be a prophet, verse 37, or to have spiritual powers, must acknowledge that I am writing to you as a command of the Lord. 
And anyone who doesn't recognize this is not to be recognized. In other words, the Holy Spirit is not going to contradict himself. That's why when people come to me and say, well, you know, that was then and this is now. No, if the Holy Spirit was ever wrong, then the Holy Spirit is not God. If the Holy Spirit changed its mind, in other words, it gave one directive for a group of people 2,000 years ago and now there's another directive, then we have a problem. And so when the Holy Spirit speaks through the Apostle Paul, it's either true or it's not true. And if it's true, then that's what we do, amen? I love that phrase. If it's true, that's what we do. It's pretty simple. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, look, if it goes against what's already been said by someone who does speak for the Lord, then you've got an issue. You need to stop and go, why are we doing this this way? Verse 39, so dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Be eager to speak forth the word. Remember he said, I I would rather, I'd rather speak five words with meaning than 10,000 in a tongue. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. He's not saying it's not a valid gift. So there goes your cessationist, folks. But be sure everything is done properly and in order. So the Apostle Paul says, tongues, real gift. Interpretation is necessary. It can't be chaotic. You can't do your own thing. You got to make sure that it glorifies the Lord. You got to make sure it lifts up people. And if it does that, we're all going to grow. We're all going to benefit from it. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray together. That's how we're freely, truly free to worship the Lord. God does what He wants to do with us within those guidelines. That he's laid down in his word. We respond to the word. We say, Lord, this is your plan. This is what you want to do. And we want to be a part of it. Father, we thank you for the beauty of your word. And Lord, how it speaks into our lives. And we pray that as we come, we not come as consumers. Lord, we're not coming to get our own will done. We're coming to seek your will. We're coming to accomplish your plans. We're we're coming in hopes that we would have something to offer to the body that will build up the body. Lord, we could be a part of that great host of servants that are seeking to accomplish your will on this earth. And so, God, we we ask that you would square, square away our idiosyncrasies. Lord, the things that need to change in each one of us. Lord, help us to be looking to you as to how you would have us, Lord, best glorify you through our worship. We thank you, Lord, for loving us. We, we pray, God, that what has happened here in this place tonight would bring you glory and honor and praise to your name and that you would lift us up and build us, Lord, into a, a strong house, Lord built on the rock, able to withstand the storms the enemy would throw at us. We thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you for using us. Thank you for putting up with us, Lord. We offer our lives back to you. 
in Jesus' name, amen.